Welcome to this third episode of Big Questions, Vertical Coaching's podcast. We've been a bit slow lately because we've been traveling from Durban all the way down to a small hamlet between Stellenbosch and Franschhoek called Johannesdal. Took us three days to get here and we offloaded in the rain, but we're all good and we're ready to get stuck in. So today we have a discussion of some serious Questions with Costa, who wrote a book called I Am Costa, which I suggest you read, From Myth to Marathons. So if anybody's looking for some sort of outlet or some change for their recovery or looking for anything dynamic, Costa is an extremely dynamic individual, and it's lovely chatting with him, and it's absolutely amazing spending time with him and just, you know, rapping and just chatting and just talking recovery and talking life talking change. So sit back, tune in, and don't drop out. It's, it's basically, you know, like, and I, I had this thought while I was driving, it was possibly when I was driving through the Karoo or the Free Stage, you know, one of those two really desolate. And this, this whole idea popped into my head that there is no, no such thing really as addiction. You know, we've all got needs and wants which have been created by something, and we're all trying to fill it in different ways. And unfortunately for some of us, we go and we decide to kind of fill it with a way that is a lot more despicable morally or despicable um, in terms of what society's idea is. And it's kind of detrimental and, and damaging to our own bodies and to our own psyches. You know, that's... Um, so what I want to do with vertical coaching is try and get rid of that, that stigma around the word addiction and just enable people to, to really just find out what they really want in terms of what their wants and needs are and go on a journey where, you know, similar to my journey, running in mountains and enjoying life. Mm. Yeah. And your, and your coaching modality, have you, have you trained in a certain way? I, I don't know much about coaching. Yeah, it's very similar to, to live coaching. So it's, it was done through, I'm not sure if you know, the foundation clinic, David Collins. Very well. Yeah, yeah. So it was started by David after he did, uh, he became a master coach and did business coaching. And then he, so adapted he, did his that, he adapted that to recovery and research recovery coaching and then started the Ubuntu Addiction Community Trust where he wants to coach people to become coaches, to coach other coaches to become coaches. Um, curing, curing addiction in a sense. That, that's what his, his view is. So that's where that, so I trained through them and I did my hours. I trained about a year ago, a year and a half ago. And I did my hours, wow. and, you know, eventually just started doing it full time now. Lockdown was actually a blessing for me because I just kind of, um, sure. I just finished off and started coaching like full tilt. So, yeah. And the phone just started ringing. Yeah. You, you know what the thing was, is 
and it sounds really, really cheesy, but like my biggest thing was marketing. So marketing was really hard. Luckily, I had this IT knowledge, um, a web design, web development. So I, I've got that. So that's how I went onto the podcast, the webinars, and whatnot. But it sounds really cheesy, but I needed to market my product. And I really believed in my product. And my product was myself. So, and I find it's extremely easy to market a product that you believe in. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, I've been on a similar. I hate the word personal brand. If you look at my Facebook, I had this. I put up this post. Some chick was going, oh, and it says, oh shit, I forgot to create a personal brand last year. You know, I mean, my personal brand is called my personality. It's like, it's this whole. If my personal brand is anything different to who I am. I can only fail. 100%. Because I hate that term. I hate that term. But anyway, so I've, be, I've been busy putting together who I am and what I do. And I, 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 I agree. I mean, the easy part is being myself. That's the easy part. But it takes, I mean, I've, I've, yeah, it takes a lot of work. And well done. Well done on your coaching. I mean, what a great business model. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, you know, and, and what I did as well is I just had a look at all the other coaches, what all the other coaches were doing, and I just tried to do it better. I mean. Are there a lot of people looking for coaches? Sorry to be so blunt. No, it's, it's, it's a very valid question. I think the need is there. I, I don't think people are educated into what a coach does. No, I think people understand life coaches um, and I know people that have had, you know, parts of their career when they didn't know where to go with their life. So they decided to go see a life coach. They found out what their meaning and purpose was. Um, they did a couple of exercises and they really benefited from it. Now, people that are struggling with substance abuse or, or any kind of trauma in their life or wanting to move forward. I mean, a recovery coach is the person that's going to ask you the right questions. So that you can self-actualize and realize, okay, cool, that's what my needs and wants were. Because, and I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast or interview that I did, is I was struggling one day and a friend that had done the training said to me on the phone, uh, I said, oh, all I want to do is just go and use drugs. And he said to me on the phone, he responded straight away, and he said to me, if you want to go and use, then go and use. So... So after the conversation, I asked myself the same question. I said, do you really want to go and use? So the question that he asked me allowed me to ask myself the question. So, and, 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 and that's when kind of my, my light bulb went on in my brain, which was really good. But, um, but uh, you know, I would really like to hear a bit more about Costa. And okay, let's go. Start, your, start your interview. I'm all yours. So... The book, tell us about the book. I mean, that's something I wanted to do for so long. And, you know, I, and, and, and uh, I don't know if I'm going to be a bitch now, but I might be. But, I mean, it, it is what it is. And I see another person's just written a book as well on, on substance abuse, on their journey and their struggle with it, which is, is really encouraging. Um, the title was taken from another... Uh, that's what I don't understand is when you choose the title of your book, do you just kind of like, are you at liberty to choose whatever you want? 
No, so it depends on how you you publish. Um, I was uh, I was I was offered a publishing deal, and ninety nine percent of publishing deals, the publisher has cover rights and title rights, not the author. Okay. So they gave me three titles to choose from and three pictures. I hated all six. Um, and they went with what they wanted anyway. Okay. I agreed. Well, because I didn't have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, I mean, and again, so your, your, your question about the title or titles. I see. I see. You know, you know, I was just, um, the, the, the title that the person used for their book and, you know, I don't want to name names or anything like that because that's just being extra bitchy, but is the same title as probably my second favorite book in substance abuse from a, another author, another journalist. So I was just, you know, I was just quizzical about that. And so I don't know. Well, is this going to be in the podcast or not? Cause then I'll say something. I can remove it. I can remove it. I don't mind. Well, no, my mother told me to always say nice things about people. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, want the, I, want, I want this to be as real as it is. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and that, that's what it's about. It's, it's my podcast is called Big Questions, and that's what it's about. It's just asking big questions. So, mm. and, 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 and I wanted to, to create a container, and then that container just kind of goes where it needs to go. Um, you know, I, I don't want it to be rigid and be like, okay, uh, so... You know, tell us, Costa, how did you get to where you are today? And, and, you know, that's not a podcast, man. So give us some of the juice. Why did you write that book? Well, I wrote the book because I wanted to become a speaker. That's, that's the real reason. And, and it's, it's surprising. If you're a speaker... Everyone asks if you've got a book. It's like bizarre. The two are not linked. The skills are not linked. But as soon as you are a speaker, they think you should have a book. And if you have a book, they think you should be a speaker. So, so I was like, well, I journal a lot. I journal every day. Um, I've always, uh, nobody's ever read my journals. Um, I've been journaling for even, even before I was in active addiction. And, um, and I would just spew stuff out. And then, of course, doing a whole lot of step work, you know, just always writing, writing, writing. I've got a little callus on my knuckle here. All handwriting, never typed. So I decided one day, I said, well, let me see if I've got something to say. So I went away for a weekend and I decided to sit down and I said, if I can, let me write a one-hour talk. A one-hour talk, a very fast talk, is uh, 10,000 words. I said, can I sit down and write 10,000 words and put something together? So I sat down, I wrote 10,000 words in a weekend and I said, okay, well, there we go. There's my talk. And then I said, well, can I turn this talk into a book? And I took the talk and I actually, funny enough, I phoned a, phoned a ghostwriter and I said to her, she's a friend of mine. She was an editor at, she's an editor and a, a professional ghostwriter. So I phoned up, I said, hey, I mean, I thought I had tons of money then, which I didn't have. But anyway, I said, hey, I want you to write my book for me. She says, are you absolutely out of your mind? I was like, why? She says, you have the talent to write your own book. I refuse to write your book for you. You will write it. 
And in fact, I'm starting a, an online writer's course next week. You're doing the course. I was like, oh, no, now I have to write the bloody thing. Um, and now I've been challenged and I love a challenge. Okay. I love a challenge. So, and I also love a course. I like the structure of a course. That's why I like the 12 step program. I like order in my life. Not obsessively, let me tell you, this is not a cross addiction, but I do like some structure. And I did the course and it was a 12 week course called from dream to draft. And what they do is there's a formula to writing a book. And like a real nerd, I, I stuck to the formula and out of the 12 or 15 people on the course, I was only one of two that finished the book because I just did everything they told me to do. You know, we're used to doing that as addicts. Okay. Doing everything somebody tells you to do. I did everything annoyingly for the rest of the people in the group who started hating me because I knew they were hating me. I could tell by the venom in their social media posts because you know, one of us was just, I just did what they told me to do. I didn't do anything spectacular because there's a formula to writing a book. Um, the rules are very simple. Uh, organize a structure of the book. You have to stick to the structure. You cannot change halfway through the book. Oh, I think I need to talk more about this or more about that. It's your first draft. No book gets written in its first draft. Just do exactly the structure. The third piece of advice, which is the best one, is you're not allowed to read anything you wrote yesterday. Okay? So you can't go over what you wrote yesterday. Can't fix, can't change. You write, and in that day, you, you change and whatever. That's it. It's done. You cannot go back. You'll fix it when you reread it in the second draft. And the last thing she said is, I give you permission to write badly. And that's all I needed to hear. I was like, great. Already, I think I'm a crap writer. I've been given permission to not care about spelling or grammar. And, and of course, they gave you more tips on how to start a chapter, how to end a chapter, how to always leave it on a high note, keep the person wanting to change, turn pages, you know, like just one or two little tricks of the trade. And I sat down and, you know, that's how you do it. People say, how do you write a book? Well, one word at a time. <laughs> and that was it. I finished it that way. Oh, that's fantastic. And, you know, I must commend you on, on finishing the book. It's, you know, it's a dream of a lot of people, anybody who's overcome adversity in their life, you know, they're like, they're like, I should write a book or, you know, they have somebody else that will turn to them and be like, you know, you should write a book. And then, you know, it sparks a bit and they're like, yeah, I'm going to write a book. And then you, you think about your book and then nothing ever materializes. So, you know, I really commend you for that discipline and that and getting it finished. And it's, it's called I Am Costa, am I right? Yeah, I'm Costa from Meth to Marathons. Um, and it, it's, I've never really wanted a book. It's never been something, especially a book about myself. It wasn't something, it wasn't, I've never, it's never been a dream of mine. Uh, it's kind of been a dream of mine to maybe write a book about, you know, helping people or some idea on self-help, you know, but never really too, too structured. But the thing with, with, um, with, uh, oh God, the thought went right out of my head. Right out of my head. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> so it's called Meth to, to Marathons. How, yeah. what, what, what is that's uh, Meth and Marathons have definitely got some sort of relationship there. So do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, from, from, uh, from the, the lowest point of, uh, of my use, uh, my addiction to crystal meth, 
to to the the last thing anybody would have ever 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 thought I would ever do in my life, which is not even mind a marathon, run a kilometer. Um, because I had no sporting history. I did no sport at school past like the age of 12. Um, and I was the only, I was, whenever you saw Costa, I either had a cigarette in my hand or a beer or a whiskey, but always a cigarette. Um, and, uh, and it's the last thing. I mean, I was never, I was the last thing anybody, I mean, if anybody went for a run, you knew not to ask me. So the, the contrast of meth to marathons is like stock. Uh, but actually it's from, it's not only meth to marathons, I start way before I started taking drugs. Yeah, yeah. So well, I wanted to ask you something now. That when, you, when you finished your first marathon, what was your first yeah. marathon? Can you remember? Yeah, my first marathon was the New York Marathon. It's quite a marathon to, to kind of break into, break into marathons with. It's like... Okay, cool. I've never really run a marathon, but you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to do the New York Marathon, and that's that's going to be my debut, my debut run. <laughs> I was like, well, you know what? I did my research. It's a very flat run. Okay, that's the first thing to note. The other thing to note is I had to do a, up to a 38k run before my first Ironman. So my first Ironman was in the April. So and I did the the um, uh, New York Marathon in October before. So it was part of the training. I had to do at least 38K. So I thought, let me do a 42. And if I'm going to do a 42, I also needed to go to America. I didn't really, but my sister lives there. So I kind of structured it all around a certain time. And, um, and I also did a half Ironman while I was there before the marathon, the week before. Just a, a half Ironman. So it's a half marathon, a, a long cycle and a, a pretty, pretty hardcore swim. Yeah, that was the week before, the Saturday before. And the biggest problem with the New York Marathon is that it's in New York and you go there on holiday and for four days I walked that city flat. New York is a walking city, okay? I walked everywhere. Okay, so the day before the race, my feet were bloated. I was hurting. Okay, and I was like, shit, I should have actually rested. But anyway, you the adrenaline of the. Huh? Were you shopping? Shopping, messing around. New York is just a street culture where you just want to walk and see people and see people. And, you know, I just feed off their energy. And I mean, the, that's the thing about the race. The energy on that race is like ridiculous. They're, like, I've never in my life seen so much support. People like on Fifth Avenue, like 10, six people deep, you know, for like as long as the eye can see. People shouting your name, um, like really, really, really. And the most amazing feeling, choirs on the side, bands on the side. It's just kilometer after kilometer. People like pushing you through the race. There's no, it's in that way. And of course, like any good race, you know, you know the long races. You forget any memory, anything bad about it. So, of course, I have the, like people say that you forget about the pain of childbirth. I have no painful memories. Everything was the greatest. And I ran, I finished the race, and I just carried on running to my favorite ice cream store and then just chowed as much ice cream as I could. No, that's, that's the way forward. And yeah, how that, do you feel it, when you cross that finish line? I mean, I mean you struggled with, um, with substance abuse, and you overcame that, and you got into running, and 
you finished your first marathon now and it was a New York marathon. What did it feel like crossing that finish line? Okay, so I cry very easily and and just thinking about it now, it gives, gives me tears in my eyes. My, so I called my sister like a kilometer before the end. Well, there they had miles, probably like on my last mile, I called my sister and I was like, I'm going to finish this, I'm going to finish this. Tears streaming down my face, crying like a baby um, and crossed the finish line like that. Like I've crossed the finish line crying um, most races. Uh, just because it's it's they, the the moment is unrecognizable to me, um, and the feeling is beyond. It's like my soul uh, celebrating, and it's just it's a cry of gratitude. Just so much gratitude for being gifted with this chance, and it's a, also a cry of um, regret. And I've got tears now. The cry of regret is that, is that I, know, I have friends who have died, not of the disease of addiction, who have died of other things. And what they would give to have a moment of health. Uh, I lost a friend to leukemia this year. Sure, and what they would give for a moment of health. And the perfect health I had all those years that I threw away with drugs. I feel, I mean, I've forgiven myself but it does come up with this feeling of, of, wow, others would give, give everything to have the health I had and I squandered it. So, so that's a big driver in my life today is to, is to honor what I've been given. If you had to give that feeling a name, what would it be? What the feeling of regret or what you just described now? Cause that's, you know, that's quite interesting and that, that fits in a bit with the, the coaching modality. So that that feeling, because I know what feeling you're talking about. Like, if you just had to had to name it, if it was passion, it's what not, would it be? It's not remorse. It's not regret. It's it's um, it's it's not sadness. It's a it's a combination. Um, it's a lamenting a loss. You know, it's it's lamenting a loss almost. Um not debilitating it's not a debilitating feeling it's just lamenting a sad like yeah it's a melancholy as well like it's just a i, I can't describe it it's not it's not too powerful and potent it's just like a you know my friend who died his journey was leukemia but you know what you would give anything to to have had the perfect health i had and i squandered it no, no, i know exactly. like almost me looking at myself saying gee cause you could have done so much better not shame on you, you, you fucked up. No, you could have done better. It's okay now, but yeah, I'll, I'll always have that. No, I understand. And, you know, I can, I can really empathize with, because I've lost a lot, of, a lot of people in my life as well. And, and also, you know, doing, doing races, doing trails, and, and, and even moving down to Cape Town, like starting a new life. Um, and, and in the time of COVID-19 and Corona, I mean, like people don't have opportunities like this. And, and then, you know, it, it, and, and, and that feeling for me is humility. Like, because I've, I've searched to try and find out what that, that feeling is. And it is, it's, it's, a, it's a humility. It's almost like for me as an individual, I, I'm being humbled in my, in my, in my, like my, my own persona and what's going on. So 
and you know I can relate entirely to the to the race as well. I remember my first race wasn't a New York Marathon; it was the Edo 25 mile trail run, which somebody convinced me to to do, and it didn't sound like a lot because it was 25 miles, and this was this was before days, this was before they even had salmon in the country. Like trail running was like like an underground sort of thing that the runners did. You know, you met on the corner of this road and you guys went up into the mountains and nobody kind of knew about it. And uh, I, I, I literally like, I started the race in a pair of New Balance road shoes. I was sliding all over the mud. <laughs> I had a pair of T-Sabs on that I think I still had from high school rugby. And, and that was me. And, and, and because something happened with the course, they had to reroute the course. And it was early days of GPS, you know, like maybe one or two people had GPS watches. And the lady who finished first in my race had a GPS watch for 25 mile and it turned out to be 53 kilometers. I still remember you had to climb out of Zuberg, out of the Addo Elephant Park in the last bit of the race. And as I got to the top, there was a pretty girl on a mountain bike, you know, in all her mountain biking gear. And she, I think she was like one of the rescue people or one of the marshals, and she just saw my face, and she just smiled, and she said, you're well done, you're there. And as I turned the corner, like it brings tears to my eyes, and I saw the finish line, and tears just started pouring down my face. And, and, and it was that moment, and, and, and I can relate to your, your, your New York moment, you said, when you, when you phoned, I think your sister, you said, and it, it's, it's, it's like everything that you've worked towards, everything has gone into that moment, and you've done it. And I know for myself, you know, struggling with substance abuse, it's, it's got to the point where, like, there's something that I'm adding value to my life. I'm fulfilling my wants and my needs with something that is more healthy and beneficial to me as a person, regardless of what other people say. And I'm doing this and I'm accomplishing this. I finished this race, nobody finished it for me. And I know for, you know, in, in going through recovery for so long, especially in the early days, I wanted everybody else to recover for me. I wanted my family to pay for the fancy rehabs. I wanted, you know, that's what I wanted. I wanted the doctors to prescribe me the right medication, you know. And, you know, eventually when you start doing something like running, you start doing it for yourself. So I can definitely relate to, to that feeling. And, and so you've done Ironmans as well. Mm. How many? You know, hey? How many Ironmans have you done? Um, I've done three uh, full ones in Port Elizabeth. Cheapers. Yeah, 20, but those were a few years ago. And then 11 of, 11 half Ironmans. Like, the distance of 11. Some of them are not branded Ironman. But the three full Ironmans are like, yeah, those were, those I must say, that I wanted to just say that mentioning crossing the finish line, my second Ironman was my best, my best race ever. And the pain of the last 10 Ks, I mean, it's just ridiculous. And all I would do is think about every single person I'd come across since I stopped using drugs to get me to this place. And I imagined them running behind me, pushing me. So I imagine this army of people, one at a time. I'm talking everyone, people I remembered from the rooms, people I remembered, my, my therapist, my, psychot my, my biokineticist, his assistant, the secretary, the, like everybody. 
yeah, and I just kept going personal. And with each person, I gave myself more energy, more energy, more energy, just to kind of honor all the people that help you get to where you want to be. So that was like another trick I have. Sure, that's, that's amazing. A lot of people that are in trail and they do those 100 milers, um, they call that the pain cave. Um, sure. they, they call it the pain cave. And, 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 and I, I suppose that's exactly where you were in that stage. And, and that's how you deal with it. You know, some people evoke anger and, and some people, so, and, and what you went through there, I mean, can you relate that to your recovery? It, it looks like you, you're running tandem with your recovery and your, your training and your, your race. And how does that complement each other? Completely. I mean, the, the, the whole program nature of my recovery, uh, which I really enjoyed, recovery was about about following certain steps, doing things in a certain way. The same with fitness. Recovery is about reaching out, asking for help. The same with fitness. I had a team of specialists in recovery called friends and sponsors who looked after, who looked after me. And I had a team of specialists called, I had a coach. Um, I, I had my biokineticist. I had my physio. I had my chiro. Uh, I had my sports massage person. You have all these people that, you know, help you get to a place. I mean, you don't realize it, but you, you collect them with all the in, injuries as well. I had a community and I had a community of people who wanted to see me do well. Just like, like people who used to hug me in NA meetings, I uh, had a community of people who wanted to see me do well. You know, I, I loved finishing a race because everybody would walk up to you and go, hey, well done, well done, well done, well done. And even before the start of the race, I write about it in my book. Everyone asks you like, how are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? It reminded me of tripping out on E. And everybody asked me to rave, how's your pull? How's your pull? How's your pull? The feelings were exactly the same. We were sweating. The music was pumping. People were all around me with big smiles asking me how I'm doing. I honestly thought I was tripping at the start of like one of the, the, I did the, the my, my first half was the, what's it? The, the oh, two oceans, half marathon. You know, everybody asked me, how are you doing? How are you doing? So, so the parallels between drug use and getting fit are so, so close. Yeah, no, I, I, I can relate to that as well. The, what, what year did you, did you do the half two oceans? Can you remember or not? Well, I only did, I only did once, 2012, 2011. Did it rain? The morning of. Yes, because I, no, then it couldn't have been 2012, because I ran. No, no, 20, 2010 or 20, it was before my 40th, it was 39, 2009. Okay, because I remember running it in 2012 and it rained so hard that it was stinging your face. That's how hard it was raining. It was my first half road and it was, it was, it was, no, it was, no. Like I, I, I've still got trauma from that. I've actually had to, you know, put it in my stuff of recovery that I need to kind of deal with. Uh, and I, I'm getting there. How do you deal with injuries? So, so, I, again, I took my time. It took me, I gave, I gave myself, I got the first idea to do a triathlon and I gave myself a year to get to a sprint distance. And then when I got to my first sprint distance, I gave myself three years to get to my first, no, three years to get to, I, I, I didn't think of a full Ironman. I gave myself three years to get to a half Ironman. And then I gave myself another year to get to full. So it was in all a five year, six year process to get to 
to the full army. So I really, really did it cautiously. I had no, I had injuries right in the beginning. And that's when I knew um, I, I had to walk my last 16 kilometers of the, of, I ran five in Cape Town. I walked 16 because of an injury. And that's when I realized my body's not ready for, for this. Mm. Slow down, take it, take it step by step, do the little things properly. And I really then took a back seat and slowly, slowly, carefully got. And if I did have, and I nursed that first injury and then I didn't have another injury until my very last race a few years ago where, where little, all the little niggles came together. And um, I now have injury that I now, for the first time in my life, have to manage that I'm just too lazy to manage. So I just do workout training, weights and stuff. I, have, I don't run like I used to or do triathlon like I used to. Do you do Pilates or yoga? I, I said I'm lazy. I meant that in every step of the way. Yeah. I'm like, oh, geez, I've tried. Sure. You know, I'll just default to the easy exercise. I'll, I, I must say, I've, uh, I let the team down when it comes to, I mean, yoga is, is I mean, I, I've done yoga. I probably do about maybe 10 classes a year. Um, but I, and I know I should stretch. I know that's the reason I, I have injuries. I know I should stretch. And I just would rather go and do a circuit weight workout than stretch, which is like, ridiculous but i have i have the one thing that has changed is in the last five years i've done a lot of weight training and then i started swimming and i started running a few months ago and i now i have power that i didn't have before so i need to just work out my 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 injuries and i do need to do what you're saying pilates my, my core isn't right mm. i know i'm i'm terrible with that as well like my core's not strong enough, so I end up with back pain and this pain and like ankle pain. And I mean, you know how it goes. I mean, and then you've got to go to the chiropractor, and then the chiropractor recommends that you go see a bio because you're not aligned properly. And then you've got all these exercises that you must do at home from the bio, but then you don't do them. You only do them when you go to the gym, which is kind of kind of weird. Like that, that's the only place that I do my bio exercises is when I go to the gym. Like, ask me to do it at home. I've got all the tools. I've got all the bands and the balls and the foam rollers and everything. And I just, I don't do that because I don't have the discipline, honestly, to do that. Like, but because I'm, I'm lazy in that sense as well. So, so. Well, the, the new thought has come into my head lately. And that is, you know, I wanted to stop using drugs early enough in life to, to kind of resurrect my life when it's in time. Like I was 36 when I stopped. And I, also, I always said, I need to start being fit by 40. Otherwise, it's too late. And, and now, I actually, last month, two months ago, I turned 50. So now, it's about how, how well can I maintain my fitness in my 40s? Because mm -hmm. there's no reason I shouldn't be in this good shape till at least 60, 65. So I can't even believe I'm even saying the 60 word, but that's 10 years away. Um, and, and I know what I need to do. Um, I need to invest in the time and in the effort. And I want that. It's my new thing. My new thing is I want, I want longevity and I want vitality. And with that is going to have to come a little bit more effort than in my 40s. 
So you want vitality and you want longevity. And I don't know, 15, 20 years ago when you were still being a bit of a hooligan, what do you think your wants were back then? Oh, all I wanted was ego stuff. I just wanted to be the man. I wanted the money. I wanted the, the fame, the notoriety. I just wanted the, the bigness of anything that could fill an ego. That's all I really wanted. So that was, it was a, in a sense, an external locus of control. So it was something else that you were, and you were doing it for something else. Now you're competing with Costa. Mm, that's where I'm putting it. Which is, and that, that's, that's what they call in psychology, I think is an internal locus of control. So your decisions are now getting kind of, you know, swayed in the way. So in a sense, you've still got the same wants and needs as you had like 20 years ago, possibly, but you're doing it for a different person and for a different reason now. You're doing it for yourself. Um, yeah. is that, does that sound about right? 100%, 100%. I'm doing it for, for myself, for, because uh, like by helping myself, I'm doing the world a service. No, you are definitely, and and you know, and and I must admit, when I first, I don't know when I first heard about you or came across you, it must have been on on social media or, or or something, and I think I possibly have seen you at one or two of the NA rooms in, in Joburg over the years, possibly, but I, we can't talk about that, can we? Who are you talking about? <laughs> but um, and I forgot where I was going with this as well. It's, uh, oh, you saw, you saw, oh, was, we were talking about me. I love that. Topic. Oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and it, it inspired me because, I mean, I was into running and training. And, and when I see things like that, it's like, okay, cool, man. You know, it's, it's, it's good. It's good. Like, it's, it's, I don't know how to describe it, but it's almost like a, it's a, a reaffirming for anybody who's in recovery and is doing running and they see somebody or they're doing training or some sort of external expression of their recovery, um, like running, and, and, and they can relate it to you. It almost like it's, it's part of like Albert Bandura's self-efficacy um, through, I don't know if you've, you've, you've heard about that, but it's, it's, it's almost like self-motivation and you work through like a vicarious experience. So when I see Costa on Facebook doing a marathon and coming from recovery, I imagine myself and I, doing that. So it's like a vicarious experience and that reaffirms my own motivation. So, and that's what it did for me when, when I came across your story and, and when I come across other people's stories. Um, and yeah, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of people out there that have struggled with substance abuse that turned out to be, I mean, one of the guys in America is a hundred mile racer. He's won a couple of, of the hundred mile races. Um, and also I think Lionel Sanders as well, the triathlete, yeah. if you've heard of him, he was also, he also struggled with substance abuse for, for quite some time. Um, so it is encouraging. Uh, it's encouraging. It's helping other people by the expression of what you do. Um, and oh, there's another question that I definitely wanted to ask you is, uh, and it's, it's, it's almost like a hot topic. You don't have to go there if you don't want to go there. But have you ever heard the term, you've cross-addicted? Oh, gosh, all the time. <laughs> oh. oh, my internal, my eye roll is, if you listen to this podcast, my eye roll is actually lifting my legs up. My, my eyes are rolling back so far. Um, 
I, uh, I gratefully accept anybody's opinion about me as their own opinion and none of my business. Your opinion of me is none of my business. And uh, I've never taken it on. I was, even I was even fired by a sponsee because he told me I had cross-addicted. Um, no, he should have just fired me because I'm a crap sponsor. That's why he should have fired me, not because I cross-addicted. You know, people who say, and of course, it's come up. It, I did a lot of media interviews, and it just came up so often. I have a programmed answer, which quite frankly is, the definition of addiction is, is, is something that, that propels you to some kind of compulsion that is more than likely very damaging and something that is irresistible. Let me tell you, at 6 a.m., I do not have a compulsion to get out of bed and start running, okay? I don't, oh, I'm craving going to gym for a four-kilometer swim. Like, I'm not that crazy, all right? And secondly is what I'm doing does not have a, a negative impact on me, okay? Crystal meth is a far more damaging than a marathon, okay? And then what I also say is, is um, what I have got, though, is a new obsession. Call it what it is. Yes, it's an obsession. And when you obsess about something, you think about it a lot, maybe a little more than you should. Um, you push yourself maybe a little bit harder than you should into some dangerous territories. Absolutely. Have I given myself some injuries? Perhaps I've swum through my shoulder injury, which I shouldn't have done. Is it a dangerous obsession? It could be. It could be slightly damaging, but certainly not dangerous. So let's use the right words around it. Yes, I became obsessed with triathlon. Was it good for me? Uh, yes. <laughs> and if the opposite, if the other choice was drugs, what would you? What would? You, and I often say this to people. So if I have cross addicted, if, if the opposite of what I'm doing now is drugs, which would you tell me I should pursue? So sit the fuck down. <laughs> you know, I love that. And because, you know, I've heard it in my life as well. People are like, well, you're just cross addicting. And, and, and the funny thing is, and, and, and you know, no, I'm not even going to go there. You know, I'm just, I'm not even going to go there because like, you know, you take it from where it comes. That's all you, that's all I need to say is, is, is you take it from where it comes. And I see it a lot in, in, in recovery. People are like, oh no, he's just cross-addicting. Or, oh no, he's just cross-addicting. Oh. It's like, are you jealous? Are you jealous of the other person? Because if you are, just say you really want to be a marathon runner as well. Yes. And I can help you. We can run together. Yeah. yeah it is. It is, it is, and I mean, I've learned that most, most of the times other people's pain projected onto me. And um, it, I mean, look, I've, I've certainly, especially with a book, oh, with my name on the cover, never mind my face on the cover. Let me tell you, I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not fooled by the fact that I think some people, you know, have the eye roll when they see me. That's none of my business. Mm. If you think I'm a douchebag, because I'm fit, if you think I'm a douchebag because I'm vain or because my name is on the book or my face is on the cover, it really has nothing to do with me. No, I think that's, uh, that's fantastic because, I mean, when, when we were still mucking about with life, we really cared about what other people thought about us. 
Like, and, and people often think that, that, that people that use drugs and, and whatnot don't care about what other people think. I mean, 90% to 80% of the time, that's why we're using drugs is because we're so paranoid about what other people are thinking about us. So we want to try yeah. and escape, you know? And, and so, yeah, I can definitely see. And, and you know, I really, um, I like your, 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 your mentality. I like your openness, your, your honesty, your, just your, the, the way that you, you approach things is, is you say it like it is and this is who I am and this is how I've got to where I am. And, and you know, you'd be like, well done. Because it's, it's, it's an, ex, you know, I mean, and, and, and what you're doing with your life now, I mean, do you want to tell us exactly like, what is Costa doing with his life now? So um, specifically, I have, I have a, a few lives. Um, I call them side hustles, but my, that, my whole life is basically one big side hustle. Um, my focus is on uh, creating or maintaining some kind of media career that's going to hopefully um, materialize into something. I've done a whole lot of different things from TV work to written a book to some talks to stand-up comedy to a whole bunch of like media things that one day something will come together. I've got a very strong feeling that the phone's going to ring and something is going to galvanize with all the efforts I've done. So I've really worked hard at, at, at maintaining a, a, a presence through my book um, that is that is of a certain way and positioning me in a certain way. Um, I've also made myself available to many different things like in media. And that's really been, that's my passion. And that is something I'm really working carefully until the right time. And I don't know what the right time is and what the right thing is going to be, but something's going to come. Um, I'm, I'm in the process of my second book that I put on hold as soon as COVID hits. What is um, that one going to be called? I'm still Costa. You know what I mean? Um, you know, that's a good idea. <laughs> that's gonna, I haven't changed. Um, <laughs> It takes uh, the second book is uh, something. It takes one one element of the book and expands on that. Um, only one one small element of it and takes it through different themes. Um, it's uh, I stopped writing it in the middle of COVID because I need to. When I write, I need to have distractions. I can't only be writing because especially if I'm writing about myself and I'm writing about some painful things, etc. You don't want to lock yourself in isolation in lockdown alone as a single man in a cottage writing about something painful with nobody around you. Trust me, that's for my mental health. It wasn't, it was not, it was not good for my mental health. So, so I stopped the book, but um, I'm about to embark on continuing, continuing with it. But then I've also got um, some other work I do. I do some consulting work. I'm in uh, restaurants, et cetera, et cetera. So that's my mainstay. So that, but um, the side hustle is what's going to become bigger and bigger. Oh great! Oh, that's 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 fantastic. That's um, I think that the the dream is to have our side hustles and our little passions to be the thing that we're doing every single day, which is is the leap that I've taken with with vertical coaching. So, um, so yeah, if anybody's listening to this podcast and you guys want to get hold of Costa, how do they get hold of you? Um, my email address is very simple: Costa at thisiscosta dot com. Okay. Costa at thisiscosta.com. Okay, so they can you and you do talks and um, motivation, public speaking sort of. So, yeah, I mean, I will do do talks for free. 
for anybody who asks me to speak for free. Um, I, I will charge as well for anybody who is prepared to pay. Um, and I, was, I just started my, my talks and I had a few really nice ones lined up and then COVID happened. So, so the event industry and the speaking business is changing and I'm hoping to change with it. I don't know where it's going to go, but yeah, absolutely. Talks, um, I always remind people that I'm very cautious to do talks on addiction. I will mm -hmm. talk about my experience. I'll mm -hmm. talk about what I went through. I'm not a professional. Mm -hmm. I'm a storyteller and uh, I can talk about my story. So I'm, I always open it with that caveat because it's a very responsible position when you're talking to people about mental health especially when I, I don't have a qualification. Ah, that's uh, keeping to your sphere. Yeah. Keeping to especially your... in, the, in the mental health business, you know? Yeah. You want people to do well. No, 100%. You know, you, you, you don't want to overstep. You don't want to, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the doctors are the doctors, the psychologists are the psychologists. You know, and that's and, and the same with recovery coaching is, is is we're in a completely different sphere to everybody else. We don't counsel, you know. I do I do add other services on, you know, like I can do case management, so I can get you to a good treatment center that will be suitable to who you are. But you know, and I can do interventions and whatnot, and that's all within my my professional scope as well. Um, but I, I tend to not. I'd rather just have a conversation and um, ask some really big questions. But Costa, thank you so much. I mean, it's, it's, it's really good getting somebody onto the podcast. You know, the last sessions that we had were with professionals in the recovery coaching sphere. And today we have somebody who's pretty much uh, living their life the way that, the, that kind of describes the mission and the vision of vertical coaching. And you did it not all on your own. You did it with that entire crew of people behind you, pushing you to, to the end of the race. And I'm pretty sure that every time you, you cross the finish line, you feel less of uh, an addict and more of, of who Costa really is, uh, which is absolutely encouraging. So thank you so much for popping on today. Jeff, thank you. And well done on all the work you're doing with vertical coaching. I wish you any, all the success, really. Well done. Cool, fantastic. Thanks, sir.